I am very glad you're here because we had no idea <laughs> with the storm. We, you know, obviously there's a lot of work, fantastic worship team, a lot of great music. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, you know, the technology guys and, and the hospitality team, they just really went out of their way and we just had no idea what to expect because of the storm. And yet you came, so how fantastic is that? So glad that you're here and glad we get to look at these things together. I, I want to help you with your Christmas spirit in this way. Um, earlier today, my daughter and I and um, my wife Lori, we were talking at home and she, uh, my daughter Mackenzie asked the question, um, Dad, what's your favorite Christmas memory? And, you know, I really struggled to assemble those thoughts in my mind. And I, I agreed with my wife and Mackenzie that it kind of becomes a, a bit of a mushmash in your mind, doesn't it? All the Christmas has passed. You try and remember one specific, but you remember highlights. Highlights of specific things that have happened in your life that cause you to say, I'd love to recreate that again. I, I would like that moment again. And many of us come into Christmas finding, I would just like something that would restore that sparkle. I want to restore that sparkle for you, but not because of a pleasant memory of your past 20, 10, 15, 60 years, I don't know, but rather because of what God says in His Word, because of the promises that you find come to life. The Bible, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, the Bible is filled with the promises of God. And one thing is absolutely certain, for a promise to be any good whatsoever, for it to be something that you would say, yes, that promise has to be backed up with fulfillment. Otherwise, it's just words. So promises are not any good unless they're fulfilled. Well, the Bible is full of filled promises. Let me take you to one I want to point you to that was spoken of about who Jesus would be. It comes from the book of Matthew, and Matthew wrote this down. He's quoting Isaiah when he says this, and it says this in Matthew verse 20, 12, chapter 12, verse 21, in his name, the nations will put their hope. And as I said, Matthew's quoting Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote that 800 years before Jesus ever walked this planet. So you would look at it and say, well, how do I know that that was fulfilled? I want to tell you that it's one of the most stunning promises in the Bible, and maybe you've just glanced over it before. Let's just go first with the word hope. The word hope that was just used there. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Hope as the world defines it, it can be really dangerous. Because hope as the world defines it, it'll mess with your emotions. It's like hoping that the lions get into the Super Bowl. Right? You tracking with me? Okay, if you haven't looked at the score, they lost today. All right, sorry to ruin it for you if you recorded the game. All right, just know that when you put your hope in the things of the world... It'll mess with your emotions. It'd be fantastic if they could get into the Super Bowl, but don't put your hope there because that's hoping in hope. The Bible defines hope differently. The, the Bible defines hope as something that's been promised to you but has not yet been realized. In other words, it's something that you're waiting for, but you're waiting for it with confidence. Now, how can you have confidence in the promises of God? Because the promises of God are rooted in the character and the nature of God. So you can have hope in God's promises because He has the capacity, He has the ability to carry out the things that He commits to. 
So this particular word, I'm not trying to treat, teach you the Greek language by any, by any measure here, but this particular word that you see, this Greek word on the screen, this is the biblical word for hope. To anticipate something with pleasure. How could you have pleasure anticipating? Well, because you've got confidence. It's an expectation with confidence that it's actually going to happen. And it's not speaking here when it says the nations will put their hope in Him. It's not speaking of governments. It's not speaking of public institutions. It's speaking of people. The word that's used here is the word ethnos, meaning the races of people. If you're from Korea or from South America or from Europe, perhaps you're from North America, the races, the ethnos of people, not the governments, but the ethnos will put their hope in Him. Is that true of Jesus today? Absolutely. Around the planet. Races from all over the world put their hope in Him. That's a prophecy that's been fulfilled. But more importantly than even that is the word name that's being used there. In His name, the races will put their hope. The word name is onama, and it means the character or the authority of that one. So in His authority, in His character, the races of people, the ethnos, will put their el pace, their confidence in that one. In His name, the nations will put their hope. On this evening, December 24th, 2022, I'm here to say to you, I know of no other world leader, past or present, of whom that can be said except the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a monumental prophecy. And God's own Word is making this massive promise saying, don't put your confidence in governments. Don't put your confidence in financial markets. Don't put your confidence in world leaders, but in the one who has the character and the nature, and he's able to carry out the promises. So in his name, one more time, Matthew 12, 21, the nations will put their hope. Hope for what? This would be especially helpful to you if you've lost your Christmas spirit. This would be very helpful to you if you're new to church. Hope for what? for the one that God promised that He would send, that He would send a rescuer. If you're new to the Bible, you need to know that in Genesis 3, the very first book in the Bible, things went horribly bad, as bad as they could possibly go. In Genesis 3, our great ancient parents who lived in a perfect paradise distrusted God. They didn't believe they could put their hope in Him. So our ancient parents rebelled, and the decision to rebel brought a spiritual avalanche of sin and death, and it came crashing into our world. And sin and death and the sin nature, it transferred to each one of us. We're the offspring of Adam and Eve. In other words, parents, tonight, you did not have to pre-program your children to misbehave, did you? No. They came with the software installed from the factory. It was already in them. So the sin nature transferred, and it transfers to this very day, and the avalanche of rebellion continues to this day. And all humans who have ever walked this planet have experienced exactly what I'm talking about. They've all experienced what happened in Genesis 3. It's why things are the way that they are. It's why there's evil. It's why there's disease. It's why there's thorns and thistles. Anybody have anything go wrong in their world this last year? Right? We all would say, yeah. Okay, Genesis 3, it's right there. And when you boil it all down, 
What you find in Genesis 3 is the tempter baited them, our ancient parents, is to believe that God cannot be trusted. Perhaps you know somebody like that tonight who believes that God cannot be trusted. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've had enough things go wrong in your life that you don't trust God and you just came tonight out of obligation to a family member. I want to help you to understand why you can trust God. In Genesis 3, you not only find things going horribly wrong, but you also find God looking forward in time and making a promise to restore us. Within the fall of man is the promise of Christmas. Within the fall of all of humanity is the promise of Christmas. So I would state it this way. In the beginning, to make a play on the Bible, in the beginning, the hope of restoration emerges from the ashes. Scripture captures it this way in the New Testament, Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience, it's speaking of Adam, it goes on to say, the many were made sinners, that's us. But it goes on, even so through the obedience of the one, and I did not capitalize that new hope. That's capitalized in the Bible. The one is speaking of Jesus. Through the one, the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the song you just sang. His mercy is more regardless of what you've done in your past. You think you've outsinned God? You think that you've committed so many wrongs that God could never possibly forgive you? Paul writes, his grace is more. It's where we get the English word hyper, as in excelling beyond. God's grace goes far beyond my greatest sin. Praise God for amazing grace, New Hope. He is so good to us. And I can say that's true because God is a forgiving God. He is quick to forgive even towards those who have spent a lifetime in rebellion against him. Amazingly, God doesn't wait years, He doesn't wait months, He doesn't wait weeks, He doesn't even wait days to extend to Adam and Eve the promise, the hope. He does it in the moment. In the moment that they rebel, God shows up on the scene and says, there's one coming who's going to make everything right. Within the moment of the fall is the promise of Christmas. So what you find in Genesis 3, Genesis 3 at its core is a birth announcement. It's God saying, heads up. There's a baby coming, and that baby is going to restore everything. So instead of God sending out postcards and pictures of ultrasounds, He sends prophets. And the prophets make the promises, known as prophecies. And those prophecies we find scattered all the way throughout the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. One of those birth announcements, one of those promises from God is extraordinary. Perhaps you've read through it before with a bit of a ho-hum attitude, a little bit bored. Look with me on the screen at Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Shame on us if we've ever treated that lightly. It was written 800 years before Jesus was born. And just read the very first part of it again. Behold, a virgin will be with child. And you might want to stop and say, what? Yeah, you should. You should stop and say, what? How in the world? How does a virgin get pregnant? You should be stunned because it's never happened before or since other than with one individual in all of human history. 
The virgin's name we find later is Mariam, Mary, as we call her today. That one, Mariam, is a real person who lived at a real moment in time, a real historical individual. And Mariam had questions. There was a fantastic song written in the 1990s by a guy by the name of Mark Lowry. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? Throughout the song, Mark repeats the question, Mary, did you know that your child would one day walk on water? Did you know that your son would one day heal the nations? That question is repeated over and over and over again. So my wife Lori and I were in conversation a month ago or so at least, and we were talking about Mary, and Lori said to me, do you believe that Mary knew that her womb would become the Holy of Holies? I thought, wow, that's such a great thought, that the womb of a woman would be the dwelling place of God. Did Mary know that he would be great? Absolutely, yes, because when the angel arrived in the first century to confirm the birth announcement, we see this in Luke 1.32, and it says, he will be great. Now, that's kind of like an understatement, isn't it, for us when we read it, because the understatement goes this way. We think when we hear the word great, wow, that's a great iPhone, or that's a great steak. And so we use the word so casually, we miss the meaning when the angel says, he will be megas, and that's the word that's actually used there for great. And, and megas has a much deeper meaning to it, exceedingly great beyond anything that you can possibly understand, wonderful, magnificent. As a matter of fact, when you summarize it and transliterate it, it actually means extraordinary, one of a kind, like no other. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record exactly that that Jesus' capacity far exceeds anything any person ever displayed repeatedly throughout their writings. People are stunned. People are shocked. They're amazed at His wisdom, at His teaching, at His miracles, His ability to control the water, to feed people from nothing but baskets of fish, His control over the water and the storms, everything natural and supernatural, truly like no one else. So, yeah, megas, great, truly magnificent. So Mary does know. She does know that. When you read Luke chapter 1, I would encourage you to do that if you haven't. She knows the characteristics, but she doesn't know how. She knows the promise, but she doesn't know the performance. So she asks the question legitimately. It's a question you would ask, how? because she knows how we're biologically built. God didn't wire us that way. How can a virgin have a child? It's not possible in the way that God biologically built us. Therefore, the angel has to clarify, Mary, everything is possible with God. With God, nothing is impossible. Therefore, God's got to intervene because one thing is sure, Joseph cannot be the biological father because the sin nature transfers. It's happened through millennia, every child ever born, born from a mother and a father. And the sin nature transfers, as it has through millennia, to children after children after children. So Gabriel has to help her understand, this, Mary, is the exclusive work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of God. Look with me at verse 34, Luke 1. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? 
The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Well, that clears it up, right? Okay, so that's an incomprehensible mystery. The angel has to say, God's going to accomplish this through His presence, but don't bypass the word overshadow. He will overshadow you. And I want you to see this word, not because I'm trying to teach you the Greek language again, but just so you understand the definition of what's being captured here. Episkiadzo. This particular word is, is talking about what happens when God comes on the scene. So it's capturing the imagery of this haze of brilliancy. And there's a really strong insinuation of the Shekinah glory of God. The glory of God like He came down on Mount Sinai when Moses came before Him. The glory of God like when He came down on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus stood there and Peter, James, and John saw Him completely transformed. Read this with me, Mark 9, 7. There then a cloud formed overshadowing them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. They're witnessing this cloud of brilliance surrounding the Son of God. And that cloud is a striking reminder of Luke chapter 1, that exactly as the ancient prophecies foretold, it's true, a virgin will conceive, and it's going to happen through the presence of God. And the result is Mary's womb becomes a dwelling place for God, a holy of holies, if you will, and God the Son dwells within it. Mystery? Absolutely, to be sure. Incomprehensible for our human minds? Supernatural? Certainly. And it causes people to trip. Well, to put a bow on this Christmas message to share with you, I'd like to provide an insight for you into why you can have confidence and why the Christmas story should stun you still to this day. Why you can have confidence in these things, because if you're new to church especially, I want you to know you are not asked to believe these things without evidence. God specializes in evidence. When Moses asked for proof, God gave it to him. He didn't put him off and say no. When Mary asked for confirmation, God gave it to her. When Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can see the nail prints in his hands, God gave him proof and showed him the nail prints and the holes in his feet. A lot of times we use the term blind faith. Blind faith isn't a thing. Blind faith is a term that's used very, very loosely. That is not faith. That is merely hoping in hope. Biblical faith, as God defines it, is a confidence in the one who makes the promise because he can back up the promise He's able to fulfill the things that He commits to. Well, God made this covenant promise that He's going to crush Satan and that He would restore us back to a relationship with Him through a virgin-born child. So we've been asking the question over the last two weeks here at New Hope on the Sunday services, how do we know He's actually the one? What evidence is there? So we've done this short three-week journey so we can see with precision in the way that God fulfilled the promises and they were fulfilled in one individual. And we discovered that God can afford to be very, very precise 
because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the beginning from the end because he knows all things. He's sovereign, so he's extremely precise. I will give you a couple of examples. The evidence that Jesus is exactly who the Bible declares him to be is much more than overwhelming. Just indulge me for a moment. I smiled when Michael showed me the planning schedule for this service and that I was allowed 20 minutes because I thought, no, okay, you can put it in there in writing. Doesn't mean I'm going to stick to it. Okay, you got no place else to go, right? Dinner will wait for you if you're going home for Christmas Eve dinner. Just give me five more minutes to explain this to you. Two weeks ago, I said that the likelihood of any one person fulfilling just eight, just eight of the 60 major prophecies was one in the 10 to the 17th power. I went on to tell you that's 100 quadrillion. In other words, that it was just chance that one person could fulfill all eight of the 60 major prophecies. It would be one in 100 quadrillion. Now, Many people relate to complex numbers like that by thinking in terms of dollars or thinking in terms of time because it's what we're most familiar with. We can kind of wrap our mind around millions. We try really hard to wrap our mind around billions. Maybe one day there will be a trillionaire. We use the term trillions really loosely because it's in the news a lot, like a lot, a lot. Well, let me give you a frame of reference between billions and trillions, if I could, especially in reference to when we think of quadrillion. A billion seconds ago was 1991. You may not have even been alive in 1991. I don't know. That's a billion seconds. But a trillion seconds ago, that's 29,688 B.C., You see how vast the gulf is between billions and trillions, trillion seconds, 29,688 B.C. So, back to a quadrillion, 100 quadrillion. In financial terms, if you could invest in a financial venture where the chance of failure was only 1 in 10 to the 17th power, Would you not be all over that investment? Absolutely. You'd be calling your investor right now saying, I want to get into this. What if you could invest in an investment that was 1 in 10 to the 157th power? See, the rationale is this. The rationale is the fulfillment of even just eight prophecies proves that God who knows the future and knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, he declared all these things to be true And he actually controlled the circumstances and fulfilled the circumstances. Now, that which I just shared with you is just a drop in the bucket for this next illustration. You might think 100 quadrillion is massive, and you would be absolutely right. The likelihood of eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person, 100 quadrillion to one? That is awesome. But let's step it up a notch. There's 60 major prophecies. We know that Jesus fulfilled all 60 of the 60 major prophecies. In other words, he's batting 1,000%. 
He never misses. He always hits straight on. But for the sake of the argument, we'll use a more conservative number. Let's say that Jesus fulfilled 40 of the 60 major prophecies, just fulfilled in one person. And mind you, if you're new to church, these prophecies that were written were written hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus ever walked the planet. The probability of the 40 major prophecies being fulfilled in one person is an astronomical number. 10 to the 157th power. In other words, this image for you on the screen, a 10 with 157 zeros behind it. There's no name for that number. Now, invariably after the service, somebody who's a math expert is going to come and say, yeah, there is, Mark. It's okay. You don't need to do that. I just know it's a huge number. There is no quadrillion name for it because it's astronomical. It is so massive. And yet the Bible shows that the chances of 40 major prophecies being fulfilled in one person is something only God can do. I said a minute ago that many people can relate to complex issues by thinking in financial terms. Thinking in financial terms, is there anyone that would not invest in a financial investment if the chances of failure were only one in 10 to the 157th power? And I'm reminding you, that's just 40 of the major prophecies. So for a rational thinking person who's willing to approach the things that are written in the Bible, the level of evidence that we are offered by God regarding Jesus is stunning. Absolutely grow goosebumps on the back of your neck. Awesome. Overwhelming that he is the one. But... While the mathematical facts are fascinating, mathematics will not save you. Only Jesus saves you. Only Jesus restores you to God. But since the evidence is clear that he is the one, that he is the child of promise, my question for you is, what do you do with him? You come to the realization that that's accurate, that is the one what do you do with him? This is a God decision. You're in the same place that Adam and Eve found themselves. Do they trust or distrust God? The same place Mary was at. Do I trust him or do I distrust him? Literally for millions of people all over the planet, all the ethnos had to come to a place, do I trust him or distrust him? That is not a decision anyone else can make for you. Scripture says this in Matthew 12, 21, one last time, in his name, in his character, his nature, the ethnos, the races of the people will put their confidence. Do you tonight have confidence that you will be in heaven one day? Do you have confidence that he's forgiven you of your sins? You personally can know total forgiveness. You can know complete restoration to God the Father and have a new beginning because of a relationship with the one who is called the living hope. Look with me on the screen, 1 Peter 1, 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and reserved in heaven for you. That, New Hope Church, is true hope. It's the promise of Christmas, which emerged at the fall of man. You can receive Him tonight just as you are. Do not wait for yourself to get better. You will not. You'll be waiting the rest of your life. God takes you just as you are. And if you think that you've outsinned God, God is quick to remind you, my grace is much more than your sin, much more, hupo more. I'm simply here to remind you that God loves you, and He wants to spend eternity with you. So I'm going to invite each of us before the worship team comes back up here to close out the service to do something with me. I'm going to ask every single person, whether you're at home streaming or you're at work streaming or you're in the auditorium right now, to close your eyes. Every single person, close your eyes, and I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever admitted to God that you're a sinner? You can do that right now. Just tell Him. He will not be surprised. And ask yourself this question. Are you willing to turn from your sin? The Bible calls it repenting. It doesn't mean that you won't stumble, and it doesn't mean that you won't fall. You will, from this day forward, though, be forgiven of your sins because Jesus died to forgive your sins past, present, and future. And I'm asking right now, do you believe that Jesus is God and that He died for your sins and raised back to life on the third day? With your eyes still closed, I'm going to pray with you right now because you can simply tell God, I want this. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. So I'm going to pray with you right now. Father, I pray for individuals who very much want what we're talking about, a complete forgiveness of their sin. For individuals who may have just said to you, God, I want that. I pray that you'd be merciful in the way that you surround them with the power of your Holy Spirit right now. Move them to follow after you because we know what you desire is true followers of Christ, not pretenders, not those who fake it, but those who sincerely obey you and follow after you. So God, I pray for individuals right now who may be asking you for this kind of forgiveness to surround them with the power of the Holy Spirit. With your eyes still closed, I'm going to say to you right now, if you feel the need to do that, say it in your own words. Say back to God, I want Jesus as my Lord. I love forgiveness of my sins, and I want a brand new beginning. If you said that, God hears you, and He expects you to adapt your life accordingly. Father, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, the one who has a name that is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor, the name that is above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. I don't want to miss this opportunity before the team starts playing. If you need follow-up, if you need to talk to a pastor, first of all, the prayer room will be open after the service.
but also there'll be a number up on the screen, and you can text to that number. And that number allows you to get a response from pastor. Please take the opportunity to do that if you would love for somebody to follow up with you.